please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, we're going to conclude our missions conference this morning by God's grace, and we're going to be looking at a passage on missions. I'm going to turn, we, we, we have a, a new stage, uh, Five Points has a new stage here, and uh, things are a little different. First of all, it's, you can't hear it as, as well, so it's kind of nice, right? I, last week I heard, wow, that thing is, is really loud. And then um, it's, it also has like a, a rubber surface, so it's very comfy. I think I could go an extra 15, 20 minutes, easy. But it also, like, first, the uh, clock was off, uh, first service, it, the, just the angle is different, so things like that. Um, I have issues. A couple of things I'm supposed to talk about. What am I supposed to talk about? First of all, our missions uh, conference kind of concludes this evening with a worship service at Bethany Baptist Church. I encourage you to come back out this evening and be a part of that at 6 p.m. at the uh, Bethany Baptist camper, campus there in Edwards. Uh, so come on out to that tonight. Also, um, encourage you to be preparing your hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper. We're going to be partaking of communion here at the end of our, our service. And so as we talk about missions, we talk about the, the passions of a church that loves missions, encourage you to be thinking about, about how the, the gospel allows us to come into relationship with God and how that relationship with God is expressed through communion Ask God to be preparing your hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And then uh, finally, I just want to highlight something that's in your bulletin. Uh, for those of you especially who may be newer to our church, there's a, a thing we're doing called uh, the Close the Gap campaign. It's kind of a, a campaign to kind of help all of us, motivate all of us to remove this little kind of annoying uh, green line in our, our uh, building funding. We believe by God's grace that we're uh, able to, to meet the financial needs of the building, but we'd love to see that green line just kind of uh, go away and, and, of course, all the, the greenish lines as we think about our, our finances. But all that being said, even though we want that to happen, as we have said from the very beginning of this, this building campaign, it's not just about accomplishing a project, right? It would be a, a tragedy if we built a building, but because our motivations weren't right and our giving wasn't done from the right heart attitude, it bore no eternal fruit in our life, right? There was no eternal benefit to us from our, our giving and our building. That would be a tragedy of, of eternal proportions. And so I think it's important, if you're, especially if you're new to our church and haven't heard kind of what the vision of, of this is and, and kind of the, the things we're thinking through in terms of motivation for giving. I encourage you to come. We don't, want, we don't want people just to give to the campaign. We want them to give to this for the right reasons, to this ministry for the right reasons. And so the, the dates for that are, for that uh, meeting, those meetings to talk about this, this, this ministry are October 26th, and that'd be for a lunch. And then I think this might be the more popular meeting, November 1st, for Uncle Bob's Ice Cream. That's going to be at 4.30 at the farmhouse. So that, I will definitely be at that one. Um, I'll be at both of them. But anyway, uh, I encourage you to come out to those things and, uh, and, and be a part of that. So Romans chapter 15. Hopefully you're there by now. And in Romans chapter 15, Paul has been talking about his ministry to the Gentiles and the success that this ministry has had. And he, he talks about how to rightly understand that success and the passions that, that he has in his ministry. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you're able, as we read God's Word together. Romans chapter 15, 
verses 17 through 21. Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through 21. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and here's what Paul writes. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. You may be seated. May God enlighten us, strengthen us through his word this morning. Father, as we come to the end of this, this missions week, we pray that it would not be the end of our, our passion for the proclamation of your gospel. I pray that even as we look at this passage this morning, you would work in our hearts, that you give us insight into how you would have us apply this, this passion for gospel proclamation, this, this passion to see your, your, your kingdom proclaimed. pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Before I went to seminary, I I'd kind of thought of missions in very simplistic terms. You have over here a, a group of people who believe in Jesus Christ. And then you have over here a, a group of people who have never heard of Jesus Christ or don't believe in Jesus Christ. And so the equations seem kind of simple. You take these people who know about Jesus and, and you send them to the people who don't know about Jesus and they tell them about Jesus. So it didn't seem like an easy thing to do, but it seemed like a very simple concept. Then as I kind of got older, went to seminary, started talking to people from other churches and perspectives, I realized that there are some complicated issues when it comes to missions. How do you make yourself a part of a culture you've never been a part of before? Is it right to, to leave family for extended periods of time in order to proclaim the gospel message? What, what price is right to pay and, and what price should you not pay because you have obligations other places? Those seem like complicated issues to me. How do you make sure that the message you proclaim is, is truly the gospel and not just your cultural understanding of the gospel? And, and what types of holiness do you call people to initially? And, and what language do you use to, to describe who God is and there's just a lot of issues. Should you consider short-term mission trips really missions? Are, are those actually detrimental to the cause of missions because they, they take resources away from other kingdom work? And questions like that. I think about a question that our own church has struggled with in, in recent years. Do we even call what we do missions? If the word missions means something different to other cultures, and it's certainly not a, a biblical term, but it's a term we've used for hundreds of years. Do we change the, the word we use to describe proclaiming the gospel message to people who don't currently claim Jesus Christ as, a, as their Lord and Savior? Those are kind of complicated questions. They're questions I hadn't really thought about before being exposed to, to talking with other people about missions. So I don't mean to minimize the complexities that face us 
when we try to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. As we think about kingdom proclamation, there are, there are difficult things we have to think through as we think about that task. At the same time, there are some very foundational, simple truths for us to grasp. Things that, that, that aren't complicated. Things that I believe, if we get these, these simple things right, we can have confidence that we're doing missions right. Not that we won't sometimes make mistakes, and there won't be difficult things we have to think through, but I believe if we have these, these passions that we're going to talk about this morning down, we have them right, we're going to do missions well, even as we struggle with some of the finer points of application, sometimes major points of application. Conversely, I would argue, if we don't get these things right, it doesn't matter how slick our brochures are, it doesn't matter how great our conferences are, it doesn't matter how generous we are in our support, it doesn't matter how sophisticated we are in our methodology, if we don't get these things right, we're going to be doing missions poorly. If these things we're talking about this morning aren't our foundational passions, then we're doing missions wrongly, and none of the rest of it matters. So let's open up here to Romans chapter 15 as we think about how we can be a church that loves missions, be confident that we're a church that loves missions. I want us to be a church that loves the glory of God and passionately proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. I want us to do missions right, and for us to do missions right, we have to have the right passions. What are the passions of a church that loves missions, that loves the glory of God being proclaimed to the nations. Here's the first thing. The first passion that a church that loves the glory of God being proclaimed through missions is a passion for Christ to be exalted. A passion for Christ to be exalted. Look at what Paul writes in verse 17 and following. He says, in Christ Jesus, so not in himself, but in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And so Paul says, as I'm talking about this ministry, the implication is Paul had some reasons to exalt himself. He, He could have exalted himself. He has been a part of an incredible ministry. The ministry of proclaiming Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and seeing them respond. And and sometimes, maybe our temptation, I don't know if this is true for you, but whenever you come back from a a mission trip or you come back from doing some sort of task that you've done, it, it might be to exaggerate its effectiveness or you might hear some people talk about their, their ministry and it seems like maybe they're, they're, they're embellishing might be a polite way to say their effectiveness. But, but Paul had an incredibly effective ministry. He didn't just have a big crusade and, and a bunch of people raised their hands and so he said, you know, I've had this, these many conversions. He says, look, I preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to people who currently were far off from God, not just Jews who hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as Messiah. I proclaim Jesus Christ to Gentiles, people who were far removed from God. And these people, the Gentiles, responded in faith. And it wasn't just kind of a, they they said the right things, or they raised their hand, or they signed their their names on a commitment card. Uh, These Gentiles, he says, look, look at the text again in verse 18, they 
they demonstrated their, their, the genuineness of their faith by obedience. We've seen this in 1 John as we've been going through the characteristics of an authentic believer. There was obedience by word and by deed. In other words, what they proclaimed about what they believed was accurate. It was truthful. It was in accordance with, with the, the rightness of the gospel message. Their doctrine was correct. They were obedient in that sense. But they were also obedient by what they did. As he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he's talking to the people in Thessalonica. He says, your, your testimony has gone out in Macedonia and Achaia because everyone knows how you turned to God from serving idols. You turned to the living God. And so there is a, an obedience to the people that he's talking about here in Romans chapter 15 that demonstrates that his ministry was incredibly successful. Can you imagine being a part of this type of ministry and the temptation there would be to exalt yourself. Not only that, if that wasn't cool enough, he says this ministry came by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And so can you imagine being part of a ministry that sees people who are far off from God coming to God and and, and your, your ministry is accompanied by the very power of God in that ministry and, and there's signs and wonders accompanying your ministry I don't know about you, but I would certainly face the temptation to give myself just a little bit of a pat on the back. But that's not the only reason Paul might be tempted to exalt himself. Paul had a lot of street cred in a biblical sense spiritual sense. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians where, where Paul is, is talking to, to the Corinthians, and, and uh, what's happened to the church in Corinth is the church in Corinth has had some people come and, and kind of exalt themselves and said, hey, you shouldn't listen to Paul. Um, here's our credentials, and here's why you should listen to us. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the people in Corinth and goes, okay, guys, this is embarrassing. I don't want to do this. You forced my hand. This is a silly game to play, this game of who's better than who and who has more qualifications than who, but you've, you've forced my hand, and so we're going to play this game. And Paul engages in some very godly sarcasm here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen to what he says. Okay, he says in verse 18, this is 2 Corinthians 11, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. You gladly bear with fools, being so wise yourselves, sarcasm. You bear with it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. In other words, you, you let all these people take advantage of you. And then he says, I guess I was too weak for that. To my shame, I was too weak to go up and slap you in the face. My bad. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of. And he says, I'm speaking like a fool. This is a foolish game to play. I also dare to boast of that. He says, you want to play the Jew card? You want to play the Hebrew card? Fine. Are they Hebrews? Me too. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? Me too. He says, you want to play the Christ follower card? You want to play the Christian card? Verse 23, are they servants of Christ? And he says, I'm a better one. He says, I'm talking like a crazy person, like a madman here. This, this isn't the right way to, to think, but 
if we're going to play that game. I think I'm going to do pretty well at it, Paul says. I have far greater labors, more imprisonments, countless beatings, and often near death. Whatever metric you want to use to describe what makes a great follower of Christ, I've got it. I've literally have the scars to prove it, he says. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, If that wasn't enough, he says, apart from all those other things, there's the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. There is a natural temptation that all of us face to exalt ourselves and to desire others to exalt us as well. And it's not just in the context of, of what we do out there in, in life, it's, it's in the context of the church as well. There's a desire to be exalted. Someone came to me and, and I was able to take them to God's Word and give them counsel and they responded and their life is changed. Look at me! Someone was in need, and, and, and I opened up my home. I'm such a hospitable person, and, and look at how I lavished attention upon them and, and how, how comfortable they were in my home. Look at me. I have the ability to take God's Word and, and, and teach it to children or to teach it to adults or to teach it to both and to proclaim it. And, 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 and look at me. I have the, the ability to, to give generously. And, and look at me. There is a temptation, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, who attend our church, who consider themselves members of Bethany Community Church, there is a temptation we face to exalt ourselves in our ministry. We must, we must resist that temptation. The name of Bethany Community Church cannot be what is exalted through our ministry. Why? Paul made a decision. He says here, I'm only going to speak of what Christ has accomplished through me. It's in Christ I have reason to be proud of my work. For God. Why is Paul so passionate about that? Why is Paul so concerned that he not exalt himself? It's not just a, hey, I want to be a humble, nice guy. There is something theologically profound about his reason to be so persistent in this idea that I'm only going to boast in Christ. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. And I want you to see the, the theological reason why he is so passionate that he be so careful not to talk about himself, not to exalt himself. If he exalts himself, it's not just a, oh, I was kind of a little bit arrogant there. If Paul exalts himself, Catch this, he is going to be undermining the very gospel that he is so passionate about proclaiming. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 3. 
He says, uh, he's, he's talking about how we should put no confidence in the flesh, even if we're Jews. And he says now, and again, he kind of talks about how he could. He says in verse 4, I have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal. Well, zeal is a persecutor of the church. We're going to talk about righteousness. I was under the law blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Then listen to what he says in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In other words, there's something about those things that stands in opposition to truly knowing Christ. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. In other words, if I didn't count those things as rubbish, I couldn't gain Christ. Those things stand against me obtaining Christ and having this relationship with him. And here's why. Verse 9, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that that is that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you catch what Paul is saying? If a ministry becomes about exalting ourselves, about our abilities, about our talents, about about us as as individuals or or us as a church, if if our ministry becomes about that, about what we're able to accomplish, that ministry begins to undermine the gospel because the gospel is only about Jesus Christ. The righteousness that I so desperately need cannot come through anything that I do. It can't come through any works of the law I do. It can't come through any boldness of proclamation that's, that's just in and of myself. Nothing I do can make me righteous before God. The gospel is all about being found in Christ alone. The gospel is all about me calling all of my works and all of those things about myself rubbish and placing my faith in Jesus Christ alone, receiving a righteousness that comes from God through faith, through nothing I do on my own. Exalting myself stands in opposition to the gospel. And Paul says, my passion is for Christ to be exalted, not myself. His focus is, is passionately Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul says, If I preach the gospel, that gives me zero ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to, uh, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Do you catch the enormity of what Paul is saying there? And Do you, do you catch the danger that exists to our church? You can't proclaim the truth of the, of the gospel while exalting yourself. The, the two are mutually in, in, incompatible. Paul has a fanatical focus on Christ. On Tuesday, I spoke with some of our global outreach partners on how to define success in ministry. And I told some of them afterwards, I said, you know what? 
we talked about how to define success in ministry, and I just told you, you don't define success in ministry based on numbers and, and, and you know, all, all those metrics that we use sometimes to compare ourselves with other ministries. And I, said, you know, I said that's ridiculous, but, man, I, I felt like a hypocrite saying it. Because it is something that I struggle with. As I think about Bethany Community Church and, and the ministry here, I, I've said this before, but, but there's questions that I, I ask sometimes to, to define success, and it, it's success based upon co- comparison. Or how big are we this year versus last year? Why was this week's attendance different than last week's attendance? How is our giving doing? I want Bethany Community Church to be great sometimes, not just in God's eyes, but in everyone's eyes. I, I want to be seen as a, a great pastor. This is just me personally being transparent here. I, I want to be great in my, my kids' eyes, I want to be great in, in, in the community's eyes. There's, there's struggles that I have with my heart that I, that I think are not unique to me. I, as, I said, as I've said before, sometimes I, I feel like my heartbeat is that I, not that I want Christ to be exalted through me. I want Christ to be exalted through me. And it's subtle and it comes upon me in times and in ways I, I'm not even aware This past week, a prominent pastor in the evangelical world resigned, not for any issues of immorality or or, um, criminal behavior, but but simply, I think he would say, issues related to this, some some arrogance and self-exaltation. A few years ago, at the height of his popularity, he acknowledged, he said this in a sermon, every year I want the church to grow. I want my knowledge to grow. I want my influence to grow. I want my staff to grow. I want my church plants to grow. I want everything because I want to win. It's my own little idol. And it works well in a church because no one would ever yell at you for being a Christian who produces results. Does that resonate with you? This guy's ministry, this phase of his ministry life came to an end this past week, right? He's no longer in this, this ministry that he had been in when he said those words. That, that chapter's closed. Those parts of his ministry that were about him aren't going to last. As I thought about that, I thought about my own struggles in this area of of my failure to exalt Christ at times. It was actually very comforting, and I hope this truth is is comforting for you as well. The parts of my ministry that are about Daniel Bennett aren't going to last. They probably won't outlast the next few years of my life, things I'm doing now that aren't about, that are about me, they certainly aren't going to last into eternity. That's enormously freeing. The parts of Bethany Community Church's ministry that aren't about Christ aren't going to last. What I've seen in my time as a pastor is that the names fade, right? One name comes up and another name goes down. Another name gets popular another name goes down. One movement grows and another movement takes its place. And 
The names fade, they become less and less relevant, but, but what lasts is the name, right? The name. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. As we engage in gospel proclamation, we must decrease and he must increase. We cannot be passionate about a church. We cannot simultaneously as a church be passionate, fervently passionate about ourselves and fervently passionate about the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, what I'm saying is as a church, at Bethany Community Church, there are things that we are going to be called to do by God that decrease our own name and prominence in order to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And because we're aware of our tendency to resist that temptation or or to to fall into that temptation of exalting ourselves instead of Christ, we, we have to be prepared. There are going to be financial decisions we make as a church that decrease our own prominence and increase the name of Christ. We must be willing to do it. Here's the second passion we have to have. Here's the second passion we have to have. A church that loves missions must have a passion for Christ's church to be established. Paul says here, the last part of verse 19, he says, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, there, there's kind of two questions I have as, as I read that. I said, well, what does it mean? What's this region that he's talking about? He's talking about this area of Jerusalem and then all on into kind of northwest of Macedonia, kind of this, this region in which he ministered. And the other question is, okay, what does it mean that he's fulfilled this ministry? What does it mean that this ministry has been accomplished? Does it mean that Paul went to every person in that region and went through uh, the good news, bad news. They went through the, the, the Romans' road with every single person in that region and shared the gospel with them. Well, no, of course not. Does it mean just that he, in that region, preached the whole counsel of God? And you think about Acts twenty twenty seven, when he talks about, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And I think that might be part of it, but I think there's something more here because he's talking about this, this geographical region. There's something geographical that, that he's pointing to. And, and here's what I think Paul is saying. I think Paul is saying that he has fulfilled his ministry in this sense, based upon the context. In this region in which he's ministering, he has been faithful to plant churches that are going to fulfill this ministry of kingdom proclamation in the region. So he's, he's going to talk about building this foundation where a foundation hasn't already been laid. And outside the verses that we're looking at this, this morning, later in chapter 15, he's going to talk about, I, I no longer have any room for work in these regions since I've longed for many years to come to you. And he's talking about what I think there is, my, my work in this region is done. I've, I've established churches that are going to be able to fulfill this task of, of gospel proclamation. There were two comments that were made to me recently that, that I think are, are incorrect. I was talking with someone, and they said, you know, Daniel, as I look at the New Testament, I don't see Paul really passionate about being a member of one local church. I mean, Paul's kind of a guy who just kind of gets along with, with a bunch of Christians. I said, well, Okay, it's true that he's not always a part of one local church. He, he travels around, but we see Paul's very ministry here is defined by establishing local churches. And he has a very unique ministry in that, that God has called him to, to go and to, to plant these churches. Another person said uh, to me, or they were kind of 
forwarding an email to me saying how to respond to this. And it was, it was someone who said that they're a part of a small group Bible study and said, you know, I'm part of this small group Bible study and I kind of think that's sufficient for me. I think that is a church. I don't think that's how Paul would have defined it. Paul's passion is to go into a region, proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and gather people into small groups who, who haven't before been a part of the community of faith. They become a part of the community of faith. And, and then he doesn't stop there. His desire is to train leaders. He brings leaders who are already established into that community to, to, to strengthen them. And then within that community, he establishes leaders. And then as leaders are established and the church grows, it becomes a church. His desire would never be to see a small group Bible study and say, I think you guys are good. Paul's ministry is, is fulfilled, it's completed as churches are established. Paul considers that fulfilled. The passion of our church must be the establishment and strengthening of Christ's body and other locales. Let me encourage you. Uh, it's not wrong to be engaged in, in ministries that are outside the local church. It's not wrong to be in, in doing fellowship things with, with other believers that, that aren't part of your community of faith or, or, or just doing kind of fun activities and, and, and those types of things. All that all that's, can, be, can be great. But don't confuse that. Don't confuse that with one of the things that God does call us to. The, the strengthening and establishing of, of local churches not just in our area, but throughout the world. Again, what does this mean for Bethany community? I think it means that, again, it's, it's going to cost us. This passion for Christ's church to be established means that it's going to cost us time, it's going to cost us resources. There are going to be things that we do as we have an outward focus to see Christ's name established through local churches that, that seemingly negatively impact our church. Our kingdom is going to decrease so that God's kingdom throughout the world can increase. God's name is going to be glorified. We have to be prepared for that. And not just prepared for that, but passionate about it. As we make sacrifices as a body so that our, our brothers and sisters throughout the world can, can, can worship God in the context of local church, there isn't, it's not done begrudgingly. It's, it's done with joy. A church that's going to do missions right is prepared to pay that price and does so joyfully. That must be us. Here's the last thing I want us to think about from this passage. The passions we have if we're going to be a church that loves missions, that does missions in a God-glorifying way. Here's the third thing. We have to have a passion to make Christ's name known. We said we, we have to have a passion for Christ's name to be exalted. That was the first thing we looked at. But it's not just a desire to see Christ exalted among people who already know him. Our passion must be, if we're going to do missions rightly, be a church that loves the glory of God being proclaimed. If we're going to be a church that does that rightly, we have to have a passion for people who currently do not know him to become followers of Christ who worship him. Listen to how Paul describes it again. He says, I fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. 
what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that he has a unique passion to plant these churches in places where where Christ has, has never been known. To take people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ and, and turn them into to Christ worshipers. This, this goal is going to be accomplished as he preaches the gospel. And, and it's a it's unique ministry that he's called to do. It's in these locales where Christ has not been named. You, you see this passion just a, a few chapters earlier in Romans chapter 10 where Paul is talking about the beauty of the gospel message. And he, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. With the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. He says in Romans ten thirteen, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul ta- starts talking about the beauty of this message and the ability that we have to proclaim this message to others. He says in verse... 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. That is Paul's passion. He wants to be the beautiful feet who are bringing the good news to those who have never heard it. And that's the ministry that God calls him to now, here's, a, here's an obvious question you might have as, as you think about this. You say, okay, Paul doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. Does that mean it's wrong for someone to build on someone else's foundation? And, and the answer is absolutely not. It's not wrong to build on someone else's foundation. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 would, would talk about that. He says, according to the grace of God, this is 1 Corinthians 3.10, the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and now someone else is, is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So there's this, this ministry that some of us are called to, to to build on a foundation that's already been laid. I, I believe that's kind of my job here. There's been a foundation that's been laid, and, and now I'm engaged in this task of, of discipling and, and proclaiming Christ and preparing people to worship him forever. Many of us are engaged in that ministry. Here's what would be wrong. Here's what would be wrong. Here's what would be true of a church that doesn't love God and His glory. It would be wrong not to have a passion to see Christ's name proclaimed by those who don't already know Him. In other words, it's not wrong if I'm not the person who's always engaged in this ministry. There's a, the, the body of Christ has, has many different facets and parts, and each of us need to do our part. But if I'm not passionate about the, the part of the body that's proclaiming Christ to people who don't already know him, there's something severely wrong with me spiritually. I'm not engaged in the task of missions as Christ has called me to be. This task of proclaiming the gospel is foundational to the church. In fact, you go back to Genesis 12, and you see that God tells Abraham that, that through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, we, we see the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of who? 
of, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Revelation chapter 7, we see the culmination of this. As John writes in Revelation 7 verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation! belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That, that picture of all the nations proclaiming a salvation that they have received benefit from, that they have participated in, is, is a picture that should excite the believer. And if you do not have an excitement as you think about that task of nations coming in to worship God, you do not love God rightly and you are not rightly passionate about missions. You don't have a passion for Christ's name to be known. There's something terribly wrong with your love for God. Psalm 72, 11. May all kings fall down before Him. All nations serve Him. May His name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in Him. All nations call Him blessed.